From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about the 2008 market crash. Will it happen again? You know, we saw that inverted yield curve happen. Does that indicate a recession is coming soon? Michael and Adam dive in. Guys, let's get to the show. Thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really good. You look good, Jerry. Thank you. Nice hoodie. As always. Appreciate that. I just got it. It's a it Christmas nice. present to me. Matches my khakis. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today, Jared? Okay, so today we're going to talk about um, the 2008 crash and will something like that happen again? But first we want to go through some key terms to make sure we're all on the same page. Number one being volatility. Okay. So volatility is, when you think about it... Uh, Movement up or down is typically the way that we define volatility. People, you know, we have mathematical measures for that standard deviation, but let's admit that volatility does not make us, it it doesn't all make us feel the same. So when markets are rocketing straight up, nobody's worried. When markets are coming down quickly, plummeting, People do feel bad. So volatility is simply a market moving up or moving down. And when we say, will 2008 happen again, I think what we want to define today, what we want to talk through today is will a market, Adam's going to define what we mean when we say the market, but will a market that has already been volatile because it's gone up significantly, Mm -hmm. will it come down significantly again? Yeah, so the answer is yes. Um, At some point in time, that will occur. Um, Now, we should probably also define market over what amount of time. Yeah. Because going down 20% over eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So when people talk about 2008, there's two different things that people forget about. There was a credit crisis in 2007, there was a market crash in 2008, and then there was a recession from 2007 to 2009. So when we say, will 2008 happen again, what we're generally talking about is a six-week period of time that started, I think, in late uh, September all through October and ended in mid-November from the high or from a, a period that you pick and then you go down, that was a six-week period. So the question is, if the question is, well, will we lose over 40% of market capitalization over any given six-week period in the future, nobody knows for certain, like would it happen over eight weeks instead of six? Nobody knows. But if the question that we're trying to answer is, could we within the next five years, let's say, experience a 20% decline, statistically very likely. That's right. Now, that's not groundbreaking, right? That's not, right, right. Um, there's a lot of folks now for three, four years that have been saying, you know, the good times have to end, you know, we're going to have a correction. Um, so that's not new. The difficult part is saying when, Right. right and and defining those specifics right how long will mm-hmm. that will that uh, 
dip occur over to what magnitude is it there's a big difference between 15 percent and 35 percent right so mm-hmm. that's that's the tough question that and and we'll get to but we don't claim to know the answer um but i also want to take a second to just define market because this right. is very near and dear to me i had this conversation all the time um and i understand we live in the u.s so you know if you just pick a random person and ask them you know how's the market doing if they keep track of it when you say market they're going to assume you're talking about the U.S. equity market. Right. And even more than that, probably the U.S. large cap yep. equity market. S&P so, you know, Coca-Cola, Apple, Google, they're not thinking about, you know, your small and mid caps, the Russell 3000. So um, it's really important to understand, you know, I get the question all the time. All anyone hears about is how the market's been exploding for seven years now. Um why is this given account, uh, you know, going up at half the clip, right? And so for me, because of what I do every day, when I think of the market, it's the global, not just equity markets, the fixed income market, it's everything. And so understanding, um, first of all, when anytime we use the word market, just make sure you define it, make sure you understand what it is you're addressing. So I think for the purpose of this conversation, we are talking about U.S. equity markets. Mm-hmm. So I know we don't predict the market, but... Um is what is when people talked about the inverted yield curve what is that in relation to like predicting a recession as far as like mm-hmm. what a lot of the headlines say and what is your comment on that at least that that being accurate or not yeah so i mean first of all like when people ask why is the market doing so well or is is a recession coming right. markets are efficient so when we say markets again we're, we'll limit this to us large cap companies are fairly priced, meaning that people are willing to pay for them what they are worth, Mm -hmm. what the market believes that they are worth. An inverted yield curve specifically is just when you think about uh, how much interest you should be willing to pay or you would accept from somebody else for loaning them money, the longer you're willing to loan them money, the higher the amount of interest you should ask for. An inverted yield curve means that that's no longer true. It means that if somebody wants to borrow money for 10 years, let's say, that they are willing to pay you less, or if you're a lender, uh, you're going to have to accept less than if somebody only wants to borrow money for two years. Historically, when a yield curve has been inverted, it has been followed, I think it's within uh, 12 or 18 months, by a recession. And so if somebody says, well, this is a leading economic, you know, it's a predictor, mm-hmm. that's fair. It's not, it's not wrong to say that that is true. And then if people said, well, what is different this time? Can you tell us what's different? Well, sure, the world's just a different place. But we aren't trying to speculate and say whether or not it will happen. But it is fair to say that an inverted yield curve has has historically preceded recessions and we have experienced an inverted yield curve uh, recently so that's so all be, it is should we be hanging on for dear life then no well because again markets are efficient and so if you said well uh, are markets going to have a correction adam's already answered that if eventually the s&p 500 will, over a compressed period of time, decrease in value. 
but that's a reflection of the fair price of the market on that day based it's on the market day. finding its equilibrium. Right. So the answer to your question is you should be holding on for dear life if you've invested in a way that you've made the assumption markets are going to go up. So Good if point. you built a portfolio that will only succeed right. or that your goals will only be reached if markets are steadily climbing upward, then yes, you, you should. Um, Good point. But hopefully folks aren't doing that, right? Uh, that The message of the broad message of this podcast is don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Build something that is more durable than that. That sustainable is sustainable over a long period of time. Correct. And, and as you get to the end of whatever is a long period of time, if you tell us you're going to invest for 20 years and we're 15 years in, you should probably be adjusting the portfolio. Right. We should be talking because your new time horizon is five years. So, uh, you know, you should never be invested in something that keeps you awake at night because yep. you're losing you're losing sleep over something you don't control right. when it's within your control to reduce your risk. Right. And if you reduce your risk and you say, and I would still get to my end goal, why wouldn't you do it? Uh, so why is the market doing so well? Is it the president, everything that's going on, or is it just this is sort of the natural nature of the market? I think that uh, politics affecting the market is part of the natural mm-hmm. oscillation in history of the market. So for politics, um, now, of course, you know, without stepping on toes and, and taking a side here, just objectively observing, you know, we've never had a president uh, affect the market with a tweet, nope. I think, to the yeah. level that we've seen. So that's a new, uh, it's a new way that politics are affecting the market. Mm-hmm. But look back throughout history, and you'll see no shortage of politics affecting the market. So that mm-hmm. is not new. Um, I think just the way that that might be embodied now has definitely uh, uh, taken a change. But I yep. think there are some, and again, this is speculation, right? I mean, we don't, nothing that we build, nothing that we advise folks on, and hopefully nothing that people are doing at home is based on you know, their own trust in their ability to identify what is causing markets to go up or down. But I think it is fair, and, and honestly, it's just kind of fun to sit back and maybe speculate as to why. I think right. one thing you can point to um, is low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Interest rates have been low going back 2008 as part mm-hmm. of the recovery, as part of the stimulus plan. Um, and they've stayed low for now, you know, periods of time that historically have not occurred before. Mm-hmm. Um, when that occurs, you have a couple different things that happen. One is for individuals and retail investors, um, specifically like retirees, where that demographic is growing faster than it's ever grown. It represents a huge percentage of the the wealth in this country. Um, These folks historically would have been oftentimes bond investors, right? They Mm -hmm. would have been happy to invest in something safe, get their their 8% coupon, their 10% coupon, and ride off into the sunset. That's not there anymore. That's not a reality exist, for them. Right. Those don't exist. And so with those low low interest rates, um, a lot of these people are now represent equity demand, right? And so yep. um, what happens when instead of if it's just me and Michael bidding on a house, 
the price isn't going to go up as much as if there's 15 people bidding on the house that yep. all want that same house. Right. Yep. And so the more people you have trying to buy something, the more the price is going to go up. And that's all we mean when we say, why are the markets doing well? It means the prices keep going up. Right. So that's one way interest rates affect it. Um, and then also money's cheap. Yep. So you have opportunistic uh, investors. investors and, yeah. and, and uh, There's a lot of leverage, like, which is right. I borrow money for cheap. And I can go out and I can do stuff. So um, it, without naming companies, I can go out and I can invest in machinery and equipment to um, build a bigger factory, a better factory. Uh, and when I build that bigger and better factory, I bought that machinery and that equipment from another company. That company is now doing better. Um, but the other thing is that you have funds who actively have borrowed money and gone out and invested in equities using borrowed money. And so they're now joining in the mix uh, of people who are bidding for stocks, essentially. And so their bid price can be a little bit higher. They get in, they buy large part of the company, they agitate for things to change in the company. Um, and then what ultimately happens is you've driven up that equity price even higher. And the only reason those people were participants in the market at the level they were was because they could leverage and buy money for cheap, borrow money for cheap. Mm -hmm. That's right. Cool. So that's how kind of interest rates have affected equity markets more or less. Yeah, that's just kind of a, a, a micro example of you know, that's what the market going up looks like on right. micro scales. Most folks just look at the S&P number or the Dow number and assume Mark's showing up, but that's what it actually looks like. It's it's companies being bought out, merging, becoming more efficient in their sales price or their, their, their stock price going up as a result that happening all across the country, that's what makes the market go up. And so I think that um, by the time this is released, it will have been a while back. But today, it was last Thursday, I think, where we had a jobs report. Yep. And... The jobs report comes out, and what does it say? It says that unemployment is at a 50-year low, yep. and everybody gets excited. Now, if you if you try to turn that into a political argument, there's people who are on, on one side are going to say, oh, well, that doesn't count people who are no longer working for or no longer looking for a job. If, you, you know, if you're on the other side of the political aisle, you're like, yay, our guy has done it, done it and unemployment's super low. Regardless of how you feel about it, there was an expectation that the number would be something. The unemployment is lower than the something that we had as an expectation. And the U.S. stock market, again, as we're defining it, the S&P 500 on that day is up, I think, like 300 points. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened? People got a number that was released. And so... Maybe what that meant is, well, these people are going to be working in factories and producing goods and building more homes and doing things. And so since we've had to hire all these people, clearly the U.S. economy is doing well. And so um, people who, you know, were wanting to invest in Coca-Cola are like, wow, now that more people have jobs, they'll buy more Coke. Uh, people who are wanting to invest in uh, tractor manufacturing. We're like, well, of course I need to buy more cranes and more, you know, they're going to be producing more because more people are going to be building things. 
And so it's there's this follow-on effect, but it wasn't really on that day. There were earnings reports released that told you these companies were worth a lot more. It was just consumer sentiment. And so mm-hmm. despite the fact that we've had a pretty contentious three years politically, mm-hmm. uh, what you've seen is just people generally are, like it or not, happy with the job that the president has done because of the economy. And so people say, I feel good about it. Um, I'll, I'll continue to hold this stock or I will buy more of this stock because I believe that something good is going to happen in this country to the economy. But, but also just on the, if you think about like what things affect the economy as a pie chart, I'm not going to sit here and apply numbers yeah, to it, yeah. but only some portion of that pie chart is politics yeah. Yeah. as an effector of the economy. So right. whatever percentage of that slice of the pie you want to attribute to president or Congress or yep. trade policy, whatever. whatever it is, but that's only one of the things that affects sure. the economy. We tend to believe, because we believe markets are efficient, that it's the it's the the structural it's the way the markets are built and structured and the way they work that affects prices more than anything right yep. that's why Michael says when you look at a price that's the price right yep. it's not that's that's why we don't uh, uh, endeavor to find quote unquote mispriced securities because there's no such thing as a mispriced security um, <clears throat> for example when we talk about something like an undervalued stock and I think this is where we can kind of wrap it up and and is a 2008 going to happen again? Any stock price has kind of two components, right? One is um, if something's worth $10, right, on the market, you could say maybe $6 of that is its actual worth, right? Like the assets of the company, the the revenue, the the, the factories, the equipment, the IP, all of that. Whatever it is, it's worth six bucks per share. So then what's the other $4? That other $4 is the expectation of growth, of this company is going to continue to be able to do that in a way that continues it to be able to be valuable and and profitable, right? Or will become profitable in the future. So um, I think it's there's a lot of different ways you can try to divvy that up on any stock price, or if you're looking at the S&P, how to divvy up how much of this is real and how much of this is expectation. Um, but I think when those two things become too far out of relationship, and I think that's where you could probably fairly say, mm-hmm. it's another way of defining investor sentiment, right? Yep. The, the more percentage of a share price becomes expectation, I think that's when you start to think, okay, maybe we're getting close to, to, a, to, to a correction. Right? So yeah, if you went back to 2000 and you said, well, what happened? Well, there were a bunch of companies that sold, let's take, uh, what's a pet store? What's the name of a pet store? Petco. Let's take Petco. Petco has buildings, they have inventory, they have stuff that they're going to sell you. And if they're worth $10, probably eight of those dollars would be considered real assets. And 2% is, or two of those dollars, 20% might be growth expectations. Compare that to pets.com in in 2000, Mm -hmm. where... All they had was inventory that they were selling at a loss, trying to say, you know, like we're, we're going to sell dog food that costs us $10 to sell. We'll sell it to you for five because the more we sell, more money we're going to make. And you're like, it's head scratching, right? But if you looked at it, you would have said, well, somehow you guys are just trying to grow and get a big consumer base. And then you're going to try and sell yourselves to Petco or what is the plan here? Ultimately, if that share price was $10, it was about 
$9 of hopes and dreams and $1 of dog food. I mean, and those are just really rough numbers and it's not yeah, yeah. exactly. But when, when Adam's point is a good one that if you said, well, where are we today? If you looked at a lot of companies, you would say, well, the share price does not accurately reflect your growth expectations. And you saw it most recently with a company like WeWork that tried to go public and they said, we've got a bunch of opportunity to grow. And at, at its core, WeWork was essentially a bunch of real estate. They they didn't, I mean, you, you can't water the real estate and make it more valuable. It was simply, we have a bunch of real estate and it, it wasn't like they had a technology that was going to Massively, yeah, there's no inefficiency, right? That right. they were exploiting, and so if you look and you say, "Well, what was your growth strategy?" Well, to continue to buy, to buy real estate and then divvy it up and rent it out to people. Okay, well, um, what are other real estate companies selling mm -hmm. for? Well, they're not selling at that multiple. Why would we give you that multiple? Because as an investor, I can invest in you or I can invest in somebody else. And so it's just that. When you look and you say, well, are there inefficiencies in the market today? Sure, they get sniffed out pretty quickly. And we work instead of IPOing at some ridiculous valuation comes back down to where it's more like their, their current valuation is an accurate view of what the real estate they own and their business model, what it would support, what it would generate in cash. So Yeah, and I think, you know, <laughs> this sure. is a great kind of, I think, opportunity. The name of this podcast is Keep It Simple, right? Um, and as much as I, just because of, you know, I'm into this kind of stuff, obviously, this is super interesting to me and fun, and I think it's it's really entertaining. But ultimately, you know, we've talked about a lot of things today. Um this is where keeping it simple is really important. And this is what I want anybody listening to this, anybody right. doing, you know, managing their own investments at home to remember. An active manager, an active investor, everything we've just talked about and a lot more, they're claiming they have their finger on and that they are managing all those different variables, right? So mm -hmm. momentum, uh, investor sentiment, yep. Uh, policy risk, interest rate risk, all these different things that we've talked about, they're claiming, yep, and I know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I can leverage these different variables against one another mm -hmm. to position you to outperform the market, right? Yep. And so whether you think this conversation was, was complex or not, we've talked about a lot of different things. And those are the things that active managers are claiming that they can leverage. And so that's why we say keep it simple. It's not because it makes our life easier. In a lot of ways, trying to invest simply makes our life more difficult. Yeah. Um, but it is the better way to go. Not because we want to do it more simply for our benefit, but because the data shows it's the better way to go. Mm -hmm. And it's because of all the different things right. we talked about today. It's so inter, inter, uh, intertwined and so many things uh, uh, affect so many variables are, are interrelated that to try to unwind that that rubber band ball and to say that's the thing doing whatever it is in the market we're trying to identify and control it's you might be able to do it once you might be able to do it twice but to do it year after year after year is statistically almost impossible yeah. so that's why we keep it simple that's why everything we do and everything that we are recommending to listeners and that we would ever recommend is don't do that don't invest based on that. You can speculate, yeah. but when it comes down to hitting buy or sell, make sure that what you're doing is based on 
the assumption that I don't know what tomorrow holds. Thank you guys very much. It was a very thorough explanation. I think this was awesome. Had a great time. Look forward to the next one. All right. Thank you guys. Bye, Jared. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.